0: Boy, if every picture is worth a thousand words, it is the cross, isn't it? Father, we thank you that the cross does say it all. It's not something we would have thought of ourselves as a way to save ourselves. You know, Lord, we would have thought of something that we had to do to try and reach you. We would have tried to boast and put our own good works at your feet and be able to claim Something about our righteousness that made us worthy to be able to be in your presence for eternity. And yet that's not your way. You knew that wouldn't work because of our sin and how it separated us from you from a wonderful, loving, but yet holy God. So we thank you very much for the cross. Uh, We'll never tire of thinking of what you accomplished on our behalf. We're grateful today. I pray that we'll leave here as our brother prayed, uh, changed somehow in some way by your spirit, more in love with you, more appreciative of your word, and with a desire to serve you with all our heart. And we pray you just bless your word to us over these next few minutes now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, it was bound to happen after speaking here since I think about 1995. And, um, actually, may go back to about 1992, i have to double-check that, but uh, I was at work this morning, and around 4 o'clock, it struck me, you know, I'll look on the San Ramon Valley website and see what's been, who's been preaching on what lately, and I realized that Ron Cooper stole my message in June, <laughs> early June, and yet, not to worry, because two reasons. One is that the Word of God does not return void. And second, from looking at what the content was of his message and what he extracted and what the Spirit of God helped him to extract from Jeremiah twenty nine is actually quite different, I think, from where I'm going. So we're gonna you get the benefit of June and July of Jeremiah twenty nine, but probably just an emphasis just to show how rich the Word of God is, that there's so much you can get from it, and it's not gonna be completely repetitive, I don't think. But before we go to Jeremiah twenty nine, one verse, Exodus thirty three. Verse 13, Exodus thirty-three, thirteen. My message this morning is really titled, Understanding the Ways of God. Trying to understand and grow in our knowledge of what God does and what He's like. And we have it on good authority when Moses is asking this question and raising this point. Exodus 33, verse 13. Now therefore I pray you if you have found favor in your sight let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight That's one for the memory books If you haven't memorized Exodus 33:13 that's a great one and that's a great prayer that God would show us his ways that we would find favor in his sight. You know, when you think of a relationship, which is what a relationship with God and what Christianity is all about, is about having a relationship with the living God, it certainly is strengthened when you take the analogy of the human relationship that we have with one another, that where there is understanding, it helps the relationship. If you think of it within the context of a spouse, or you think of it in the context of a, one of your children, or a parent, or whatever the case is of a very, one of those intimate relationships that we have, especially with relatives, it helps if we kind of know what makes them tick. I know, for example, I've married to Cindy for 26 years now, and it didn't take me long to figure out that she's not a morning person. And there's probably some of you like that. Working six at night to six in the morning, I don't know what that makes me. Um, I slept till 10 today, so maybe I'm a night person. I don't know. But I realize that when the alarm clock goes off for me, that's when I get up. I don't know if you're like that, but when it goes off, you don't need that snooze alarm. You just, you're just you ready. <laughs> and I've noticed with, her, with, with my wife, my dear wife, is that it needs to probably be hit about six times before she's actually moving. And because I hear a fly buzz downstairs or an ant marching across the street, as soon as that goes off, I'm awake. Only then to still hear that snooze alarm going off every five minutes. I said, hey, you could never be a firefighter, Cindy. Never be a firefighter. The alarms would go off and you would just... You know, you think about this time of year, we're on vacations. And it kind of helps you understand that significant person that you're with. You know, are they a person on a vacation that wants to be constantly on the go, seeing every site there is, wherever they are, Or are they the kind of person that just wants to just take it easy and relax? And there can be issues. (laughs) Amen. There can be issues where there may be two different people thinking two different ways of how they want to spend that vacation. You think back just how it helps as we spend more time with each other to kind of understand each other. And this is what Moses was saying. He wanted to understand God. Think back to the day... That those of you in this room, and I trust everyone has, I trust everyone has come to this point where they have received the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you haven't, it's not too late today. But think back when you did. Would you say that from that day to date, to the date we're now at, July of 07, that you have been growing? You've been growing. In this new relationship with God, whether it was last month, last year, five years ago, ten years ago, you're growing. And it's important that we do because Peter says, and you don't need to turn to this, just a couple of verses. Peter says in Second Peter, he writes, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us to grow in our knowledge of him. And we understand, if we go all the way back to Genesis, that he created us because he wanted us to know him. We wanted, he wanted us to develop a relationship with him in an intimate way. And as was sung so beautifully this morning, it wasn't going to be accomplished by our own efforts and our own works of how we were going to reach God and know him, but ultimately it would be through his provision, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the bonus is, if you say the bon, what's the bonus in all this? What's what's kind of like this the 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 great thing that comes out of a relationship with God, is is that we, in part, to the extent He is willing to reveal Himself to us, we can understand His mind and motives. And you say, wow, and that's an incredible intimacy and a special privilege that we have as His people to say that we actually can kind of understand through what we, he reveals to us in his word, what makes him tick, if you like. Another way it's been said of Exodus 33, 13 is this. I want to know you. Show me what I don't know about your attitude and purposes. Help me understand how you think, what motivates you, and why you allow certain things. And it's on good authority because of what Moses prayed as well, that Point number one, God wants us to know his ways. Now, this isn't something we have to fight with God on. It's not like we're going in territory we shouldn't be. He wants us to know his ways. Deuteronomy 10:12 says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? And you just think there for a second. You say, well, sometimes the Bible's too hard to understand and I don't, it's hard to, to read it. Well, there's many, many passages that are so incredibly easy to understand and simple if we just have an open heart. And you read this and you say, what does the Lord your God require from you? It's not something that God is saying, you know, really is kind of an option. When you think of require, it means this is what he wants. And he goes on to say to walk in all his ways. And therefore, to be able to do that, to get to know him, helps us to accomplish this. You say, well, how did God provide the, the roadmap or the plan, if you like, of how we can do that? And of course, it's through the word of God and through the spirit of God for us as his children. A couple verses in Second Corinthians chapter 2. For to us, God revealed his wisdom through the spirit. Listen to this. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. The thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now this wonderful verse. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. If you like, what's that really all saying? And it's simply saying this. One of the Spirit's responsibilities, if you like, is to reveal God's way to us and illuminate Or if you like, turn on the the searchlight, the flashlight in our minds so that we can understand God's, what he is wanting to say to us. And the interesting thing is he reveals to us what he chooses to reveal. And sometimes we have a bit of a problem with that. We'd like him to reveal more. And we're going to get into that. But I suggest to you, he reveals an awful lot. And sometimes we're missing it. And we're actually not seeing it. Now, we go to Jeremiah 29. I wasn't going to be turned away from Jeremiah 29 when I looked at what occurred on, in June. But I think this is a fantastic passage, Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 14. And we see how this passage of Scripture helps us actually understand the mind of God. Verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on his behalf. For in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, this God of Israel, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, for I will listen to you, for you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather from you all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. A couple of the benefits of knowing God's ways are directly tied into this passage. And it, Moses already touched on it as well in a couple of the other verses I read. is is when we know his ways, we get it, we gain, if you like, his viewpoint. God made it very clear, didn't he, through Jeremiah the prophet in verse 4, that this exile that they were going to be in didn't happen because of King Nebuchadnezzar. Try that, saying that a few times. I just sometimes call him King Nebi. <laughs> it was no surprise to God. He was the one that led them into the exile. God himself. People were thinking that it was Nebuchadnezzar who had done it. And verse 4 says, no, no. I did this. And isn't that the challenge sometimes when we are wanting to know what the divine viewpoint is of something that's going on in our lives? You're confronted with some painful, maybe it's happened this week for you, some challenging situation in your life. Or maybe this past month. And we ask ourselves... You know, what's going on? But the mature response is, and if you're having a thinking of wanting to understand his ways and God's viewpoint for you is to say something to the effect, how does God see this? How does God see this? What's God trying to do in this situation? And I guarantee you, brothers and sisters, when we elevate our thinking to those lofty thoughts, it can completely change the way we see whatever that difficulty is or that painful hardship that we're going through. Now, if you're on the receiving end or actually you're on the end of witnessing this to someone, you may not want to right away say it in the middle of it, right there. What is God trying to teach you in this? I mean, there's probably a tackle way to address that question. I remember once my daughter told me something that had happened on the telephone down in San Diego. And it was a trial. And it was just the right time and just the right tone on my part to say, Hey, honey, you know, one thing that's going to be important in this is just kind of think, what do you think God wants you to learn in this situation? And then that kind of gets the brain going. And it gets us kind of saying, Lord, what is it? Teach me, like Moses said, show me your ways that I might find favor in your sight. Interesting in verse 7. He says, pray to the Lord on its behalf. You know, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. That's not really something naturally you would think to do. The very place where you are that you don't want to be. He's now saying, pray for their welfare. Think like that. Gain his viewpoint. This is where I've placed you. Now, what are you going to do about it? You think of the circumstances we're in. Sometimes somebody has said, how are you? And some have said, Well, under the circumstances, I'm okay. And somebody said, well, you know, I'm okay above the circumstances. You know, how do you view it? Sometimes we're in situations and we just so much want God to take us out of the situation that he, he has placed us in. And what we're looking for and what we're thinking about, what's on our mind and what's on our, the brain cells and all our energy is to somehow get us to get out of that situation. I think I might have said it when I was here a little while back that one of these ladies that um, I had the privilege of being involved in an evangelistic study way back in the 80s. And she had, as an unbeliever, killed her husband. It was a domestic violence kind of a thing. It was a nasty situation. But one night when he was asleep, she shot and killed him. Never had a record. Lady in her believer in her 40s at the time. She then got saved. Went to trial, convicted of first-degree murder, spent 20-plus years in prison, recently released. But in all that time, two parole boards turned down. didn't make any sense. The lady had no priors. She'd been a model prisoner. I see people getting out like a revolving door all the time. Yet in this situation, she had this one assurance of this, that God was the one keeping her there. And it wasn't going to be the parole board that was going to release her. It was going to be God. In his timing. And sure enough, he did. And she spoke at a dinner a few months back. What a testimony. This lady did not, I get a sense from her testimony and how she spoke, she did not complain about those years in prison and just wanting to get out and get out and get out. She had kids. You can imagine it all. Separated into different states. Foster care. Yet she had this quiet confidence and trust that it was God who put her there. That was a woman. Who had understood God's viewpoint in a situation. In exile, if you like. Not a place where she wanted to be, humanly speaking. Maybe there is a situation and there are times when God is saying, I'm moving you out, I'm moving you on. But do it, move when he tells you to move, rather than doing it yourself and then just making a mess of it. And the result is this. There's calmness and confidence when you're thinking like that. And what does that replace? It replaces anxiety and discouragement. I love those verses in Isaiah. In quietness and trust is your strength. And then Isaiah 26.3, The steadfast of mind that will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Our minds need to stay on God. And as long as we've got those minds, those minds working, let's have them stayed on him. Reminds me of a story of a person who said there's three things that are bad about growing old. The first thing is your mind. You start to forget. And the other two things, I can't remember what they were. (laughs) But the mind needs to be stayed on the Lord. Not only do we gain his viewpoint, but secondly, we gain patience, if you like, or gain endurance. Like I've suggested, we spend a lot of times trying to avoid trials. And yet we know from James and from other passages of Scripture that the writer keeps telling us to consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. We ought to be thanking God for them what they're going to accomplish in our lives. Someone has said adversity helps us develop endurance, and endurance is a powerful weapon to have in our character arsenal. You think of what you got in your arsenal today is patience, endurance, one of them. And if it isn't, and you'd say, you know what, Lord, I need to grow in that area, and you raise your hand and say, yeah, that's an area I need to grow in. Well, watch out, because if you're real serious about that, then God's going to send you possibly some adversity To help you grow in that. You think of what's the difference of enduring, whatever that trial is, or simply putting up with it. And it's attitude, isn't it? What would you rather be? That person that has 15 minutes of a burst, if you like, of courage? That just for 15 minutes is a courageous lion, but then falters? Or would you rather be that person that's steady, that just continues to grow? If you're in a situation today where you're in the market, whatever your thoughts are on that. Do you want something that's like this and then like that? Or do you want something like that? And what will help us, brothers and sisters, be that way of attitude and thinking like that? And again, we're thinking lofty thoughts here now. This is not humanly, this is not how human beings who do not know Christ think. This is not natural thinking to be thinking like this. But it's having a conviction that says that I know the God who's uh, the God of all creation, the God who sent the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross, has my best interest at heart. And whatever he has allowed you and I in all our diversity and wherever we are and whatever our situations are, there's one thing we all have in common. He has our best interest at heart for all of us. He does not favor me more than he favors you. Matter of fact, he loves you and I, his children, like he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And what would he not do for him? God encouraged the exiles to live as normal of a life as possible and to have patience while they were in that situation. He says, Mary, you know, garden. Do the things that keep you going. Don't just quit in despair, but keep pressing on. Live life as normal as possible while you're in Babylon. And he assured them, didn't he, that he had good plans for them. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. And God was so good through the prophet Jeremiah to to tell them all of this because probably the thought crossed their mind that God has abandoned us. You know, we're in this situation and he might as well be gone. God might as well be dead. And maybe these diviners and prophets that were saying this, that God said, don't pay attention to them. What do you think that they were saying? Do you think they were giving them encouraging words? Do you think they were getting uh, wonderful words of counsel? These were false prophets. And their words that they were saying to them were probably stuff like, you know what, forget this God. Serve our God. Go this way. Fill your mind with this. Do this or that. Anything but keeping true and faithful and wanting to know the ways of God. God doesn't care, is probably what they were shouting And you think of that, 19 or in 2007, how much has it changed? You think of the what you hear, what you read, the things that people are saying, and they're trying to constantly discourage you and I as his people from following after him. And the devil, unfortunately, is using these spokespersons to do this, and through the media and whatever else, to just to basically say, turn away from God. Don't be stupid, wasting your time serving this God. I remember when I worked at the police department back in the 80s, and I was telling a few folks that God had called us overseas. And you might as well have thought I said I'm going to go out and chop my head off from the response I got. Are you crazy? You're giving up a, a pension? Well, how, how are you going to live? Well, who's going to pay your paycheck? Well, what about your life insurance benefits and all that dental and all of that? And you're tossing it in for, for what again? And I have to admit, there was a couple of times when I kept hearing that, there was moments of like, what am I doing? And I would go back and say, no, Lord, your ways are true. You led us in this direction. You're the one who called us in this very specifically through your word and through counsel. And so while it might seem like madness to the world what you and I do and how we serve him and how we spend our our money that ultimately he's provided and our time and our energy and what's on our thoughts, it isn't to God. It isn't to his spirit. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Brothers and sisters, if you're feeling exiled or stuck in a situation today and you feel like, you know what, I don't want to endure. I was tired about, of this a week ago. To be honest, Lord, time was up for me a year ago. You know, it's overtime now. And I'm tired. Maybe it's praying for that loved one to come to Christ. Maybe it's for some child that you're just praying will respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some wayward son or daughter. Some husband or wife. Someone that you so desperately want to see come to Christ and you just feel like, if is it is going to happen. Keep enduring. Keep trusting in God You and I have got to be of the place and we've got to settle this. If we haven't settled this in our minds already, I suggest we settle it before we walk out this door. That God is in control. When you and I are thinking, you know what, I can roll the dice this way and maybe it can happen like this. Or maybe this can happen like this. If I get into this situation, somehow I can control this, whatever it is. We've lost the right thinking on that. That's not right thinking. God's on the throne. And he's in control. Thirdly, we also will gain influence for the kingdom of God when we are people who are serious about wanting to know his ways. When we walk in God's ways, then you and I are going to be people of impact. I think of two examples, one good one, one bad one from my life the last couple of weeks. I was at work, and there was a lot of bantering going on, a lot of joking, a lot of cutting each other down, and this and that and the other, and one was firing it at me constant like a machine gun fire. A lot of it was in total joking, but I was at this barrage for about 20 minutes, and I thought, you know, I've just about had enough, so I've turned it around for just a couple of minutes, and this person said, whoa. He said, you're being a hypocrite, Mr. White, and I got mad when he said that to myself. And I thought, you know, one time, you know, and I've been, I've been such an example. I've tried. I've tried. And then I do something and he slams me. And I had to think and I had about 20 minutes of being genuine. I had to send him a message on the computer and I said, you're right. I was. I was being a hypocrite there. Do you forgive me? We have some work going on at our house at the moment, some renovation. And this man's been over there for, seems like forever now, but he's a wonderful guy <laughs> and uh, we love him. And it's turning into a wonderful relationship um, with him and his sons, and he said he's had about 300 clients, that he, he, he's this guy, he doesn't have a business card, but if you ever come over to our house, you're going to see some awesome work that this guy's doing. But he's had about 300 clients, and he said, you know, I've seen a lot of houses, I've been in a lot of homes, I, I see the interaction that goes on in the, in the house, and he said, this is one of the most incredible homes. Of the way people treat each other. Glory goes to God for that, what he's seen. However, he did say a couple of weeks ago, one day while our youngest daughter was on the phone and she was giving out to one of us, maybe as one of her sisters or me, I can't actually remember it, but her attitude was sassy and sarcastic. And he was, of course, hearing this as he's in the bathroom working. And he said, he walked outside and said, they're normal. You know, <laughs> I guess there'd been a good track record until that incident. And you realize that we still blow it and there's still stuff that goes on in the house when you're having somebody under your roof for so many days. But, when we walk in God's ways, people see it different. New Testament talks about how you and I are salt and light. And when we behave in ways that are not natural, are not the way that normally and typically you would respond in this situation. For example, like in Jeremiah 29, praying for the welfare of the city, which would not be normal, rather than wanting to take vengeance, that has an influence for the kingdom of God. Words certainly make an impact on sharing the gospel, but so does our behavior. How do you respond to the problems, the heartaches, the headaches, the stuff that goes on in your life? Do you pull, or if you like, get kind of wobbly, you know, and your faith falters Or is it actually a chance to say, okay, Lord, didn't see this one coming, but I'm going to turn to you and trust you in this situation. And I'm going to ask you for the strength to be a good witness. And then lastly, I believe it's lastly, is one of the things too is God's ways, and this may be even more difficult than anything I've already said, are accomplished in his timing. They're in his timing. Sometimes, Don't we think that God is taking, in our humble, finite opinion, way too long to do something? Way too long. (laughs) You think about it. Do you want to lose lots of weight maybe today? And, you know, just be the size that you want to be without any change in your eating habits? And without any exercise regime at all. And we would all say yes. I would like to lose weight. Without having to change what I eat. And not have to lift one weight. Or jog one minute that causes a sweat to drop onto my brow. Yes I would. Well welcome to the human race. So does everyone else. But it's not that way is it? We want things to happen just like this. I mean, it's getting to the point, and I love some of this stuff in the microwave that you can buy at your local Costco store, but um, you could really live just with that microwave, I think, sometimes. That's about all it seems you need anymore. You don't need a cookbook to go through some exercise that'll take you three hours to do when you could get it in 15 minutes in a microwave. And yet we love the, and appreciate the home-cooked meal and all the effort that goes into it. But, we are a generation, I hate to admit, but I think you would agree, that is addicted to shortcuts. If it's, we can get it faster, easier, then we want it. If there's a less painful way to go, we're going for it. You know, it's been said that the average home today, if to take this figure, it's staggering, but in the country at large, in the U.S., that there's $807 billion in debt. And if you were to break that down into the average household, average household, that's a debt of $7,600 is what we're under. And I'm really kind of excluding a mortgage. But it's the things, for example, like that credit card, that little plastic thing that sometimes can get us into such trouble. And some take to the course of getting the scissors and just cutting it. We purchase. We purchase. We want it. We want it. And maybe we don't need it. The story's told of a company executive who was on his own private plane. And he had to circle 20 minutes because of uh, other issues going on in the sky, as sometimes occurs. And he had 20 minutes before landing. And he was delayed just that long. And like a spoiled child, the story's told. He said, I want to land. And he was telling the flight attendant, I want to land now, now, now. Like a little spoiled kid. Someone has said that we are the shortcut generation. And you know what? For the shortcut generation, there's probably a verse in the Bible that is one of the scariest verses. And you say, I wonder what that one is. And I suggest to us it could be Second Peter 3.8. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. <laughs> you say, oh no, I don't know how to handle that. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like God working like that, but he's God. Job came to this conclusion, and I love this translation. He understood this. He said, you don't look at things the way we mortals do. You're not taken in by appearances, are you? Unlike us, you're not working against a deadline. You have all eternity to work things out. Job 10, different translation, verse 4 and 5. God may take a long time to work out his plans in our lives. And here's the danger, though. We might think that he's not paying attention. But somehow God is kind of taking a nap. And he's not really switched on. And you know what we then think? You've been there, haven't you? Well, I'll just take matters into my own hands. You know, God, I know you've got a lot of people you're taking care of. You know, you're listening to the prayers of lots of people. So I just think... I think that the best way to handle this situation, and then you go ahead, and I go ahead, and we do it. And it's a shortcut. And if you think about it one day, say, you know what I want to do is study in the Bible on the disastrous shortcuts that men and women took to try and achieve something, and what were the results of it. I think a classic one is Exodus 32, where Moses is up on the mountain. And all the Israelites had to do was sit tight and wait for him to return from the mountain to receive this revelation from God. Not a tall order, you say, but sometimes just waiting. That's the tallest order, isn't it? Then this real drama occurs in Exodus 24:17: The glory of the Lord appears like a consuming fire on the mountain. And for the Israelites seeing that something's going on up there that's hugely significant. This isn't just like your everyday operation. Something big is occurring here for our prophet who is up here receiving instruction from God. You think, well, that should have been enough. That shouldn't have been enough just to say, you know what, we'll sit tight. We'll wait a little longer. But the problem was for them and their thinking was as they go, I wonder how long it's going to take Moses to come back down. And we're going to have to wait. And you know what that's like if you traveled with a small child and you're going from here to Disneyland. How much longer? How much longer? When are we going to get there? What was it like before Highway 5, I wonder? You know, when it was maybe 99. Or imagine if it was Highway 1 down the coast. And then these thoughts maybe were going through the mind, well, what if he doesn't come back? Maybe if there's a rock climbing accident and Moses gets killed. What are we going to do? Well, restless, bored, probably afraid. They think, you know what? I know what we'll do. And you know the story. We'll get Aaron. That's it. And we'll, we'll have him make a golden calf. It sounds like a just a grand scheme, doesn't it? And we'll, we'll worship this thing. We'll throw in our, all our possessions on it and gold and be able to make this thing up. And you know the results of that. God was, to put it mildly, not happy with that choice. We need to remember that just because we can't see, and this is really hard, unless we're trusting God and looking at Him and thinking in His ways on this, just because we cannot see or figure out what He is doing That does not mean that he is not doing something. He could very well be doing something. And he is. You think about when you plant some seed. You know, I have a lot of dry patches on my lawn right now, and I'm ready to, I can't wait just to get that seed out. And I get the water. But if I'm just like this, you know, every minute, and I wonder what's happening there. You know, I put the seed down. And I don't see it, you know, and I'm just like this. And then, you know, what happens is about a day or two or three days later sometimes, and all of a sudden, you start to see that little green thing. And then it's like, yeah, the birds didn't get all the seed after all. And you start to see. And a couple of weeks and a month later, you have this rich grass where you pl- uh, filled it in. But what if you go in there and you say, you know, I didn't think I did that right. And you just start digging it again and up and bringing it and doing it again and just tinkering around and meddling where you shouldn't meddle. It never happened. History was being made up on that mountain. But Israel only knew it from their perspective. What they saw was God's silence. And you know what? They jumped to the wrong conclusion. I think of that song in closing. as when It's an older chorus. Remember that song, In His Time. It's taken from Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in His time. In His time, in His time. He makes all things beautiful in His time. Lord, my life to you I bring. May each song I have to sing be to you a lovely thing in your time. We can, in closing, brothers and sisters, be sure of this. And this is something that cannot be said of us, but it can be said of our wonderful God today. He will always do the right thing. He always does the right thing. I think of that verse in Genesis 18. Will not the judge of the earth do right? He always do right. And you think of just as we were hearing in that song this morning about how he gave the cross. When you think of that and you think of what he was willing to do for us in giving his son on Calvary and how that says it all, would God ever mislead you and I, one of his kids? Never, ever, ever. He always has our best in mind. And our challenge today as we leave here and as we just keep pressing on and going forward is determined, determined before God that we want to learn the Lord's ways. Amen? Amen. Lord, I thank you that you've given us your word and you only can do right in our lives. We thank you that you love us, that you're all wise. We pray that we will be your people who want to know what's on your mind, want to know what's on your heart, and want to in situations that come into our lives understand what you're wanting to do. I pray that we'll be obedient and submissive and willing learners as we're in this school. We thank you, Lord, that while we're here in exile, in a way, until we get to our real home, we pray that we'll just be faithful to you, that we'll go about the business that you would have us do, live the lives that you want us to live, even to be praying for enemies. But most of all, Lord, that we'll just be patient wanting to serve and seek you and glorify you in all that we do. Thank you that we do have a home we're going to be eventually going to. And we just pray that we'll love you and serve you in the meantime until that day comes. Thank you for this day. We pray your blessing on the rest of our time together. And just for the rest of the events of the afternoon, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.